I used to drive all over town for low prices, but now I let Walmart's incredible new savings catcher do the work for me. I just enter my Walmart receipt online and savings catcher does the rest. It compares the prices I paid for items at Walmart with advertised prices from other top stores in my area. And if savings catcher finds a lower advertised price, Walmart gives me the difference on an e-gift card. Now that's my kind of work. Introducing Savings Catcher from Walmart. Go to walmart.com slash savings catcher for details. Eligible items only. Restrictions apply. You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after show entertainment. Very good, Gene. From the AfterBuzz Studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV. I'm not getting anything. (laughs) I love it. Let's get started on the show. I love that. (laughs) We're sorry, folks. We're just telling stories about our days of... Filming things and getting all messed up. I guess it's like a TV host producer problem. It's, it's awesome. It's inside jokes. It doesn't it's matter. What we do. Guys, welcome into the Manhattan After Show right here on AfterBuzz TV. You've got a little Akon playing in the background because he was locked up at one point. I think Akon's out of jail now. Uh, not he out went of to jail. jail. Yeah, he know. definitely went to jail. Oh, not out of jail is Sid Lau, who we will talk about in a second. But thank you for tuning in. You're watching Manhattan on AfterBuzz, season one, episode two, The Prisoner's Dilemma, aptly titled. I'm Bobby Demiro with Marissa Serafini. What's up, guys? Uh, all right, let's jump into it. We've got a bunch of good stuff coming later. We want to talk iTunes and do some other stuff in a minute, but let's jump into the show first. Um, Sid Lau, let's talk about him. Because I have a lot of questions for you about him. The way we left it last week, we weren't sure if what he was saying was the truth. We weren't sure if he was just taking the schematics, taking the diagrams, and actually wanted to sell them to Eastman Kodak because of his daughter's illness. Or if he was actually a spy and he was just lying to everybody. Based on what I saw this week, I think he was a spy and he was lying to everybody. Why would you behave the way he behaved if you weren't the worst kind of guilty. Oh, you mean like at the end when he was yes. trying to escape? I mean, it, it get, well, I think we'll get, definitely get to that point. But honestly, I thought he was actually being sincere because he was really? in, sincere in general because he kept saying over and over and over again uh, that, you know, he, he's not a spy. He did this for his family and whatnot. And then, you know, I started, I, I, admit, I did start to question if he was a spy or not, but I still think he was pretty genuine. I, I, I thought he was a spy all the way. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt last week. Maybe yeah, I was just giving him the benefit just, of the doubt. For being, being a, a new character that we're still trying to learn, so it, it's hard to say if he was a spy or not. You're just being too nice to this guy. Now, one argument on your side probably is, and he said it too, when Frank talks to him about you know getting him into the Army as a soldier, getting drafted, tell him you're a radio operator, you won't see the front lines, blah, blah, blah. Sid was so devastated about being drafted into the army he wouldn't survive a day maybe even if he's not a spy he's at the end of his rope doing that and he's like i have nothing left to lose so i'm gonna go do this and i'm gonna he didn't intend to get shot but that's what happened spoiler alert i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna try to escape that's it because i'm desperate i thought he was actually happy when he found out that he i mean that was his only way out because he might have just gotten executed but i mean we know he got shot but i think he was kind of happy that the fact that hey i can still live i'm not gonna get imprisoned or whatever 
whatever's going to happen to me. So I think he was actually happy that I totally he disagree. Had I I think but I think he was also, so hopeless. Go ahead. But also, we did find out he is Chinese, and if you think about it, during World War II, China was actually our ally. So I'm giving him also that added benefit. Yeah. So I mean, we we have to be allies with China. It's because if we if we weren't, then America's screwed, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. And especially during World War II. So I will give him, because he's Chinese, he seemed genuine. And he was happy that he does have an out and he can live. And he still has the opportunity to like start a new life, even though he did something wrong. I mean, I, I was giving him that. I, I understand that. And there's a huge distinction between being Chinese and Japanese or any other ethnicity in Asia at that time or today. There's obviously there's different countries. It's like saying yeah. you're American versus Canadian. It's a huge distinction. However, and we should go back and look at the history on this. And I, I'll read stuff that some stuff this week to figure out what's going on. The line in the show, it came elsewhere, but the line in the show of a distinction without a difference, do you remember when that was said? Somebody said that to Frank about the bomb, I believe. But it's a great line, distinction without a difference. The fact that Sid Lau might be a kind of a traitor, might be kind of a a spy, and is of Asian descent, to them, is that a distinction without a difference? It doesn't matter if he's Chinese or Japanese. He's the other to Americans, and so they still have to not trust him. Just like the guy interrogating him is kind of like, dude, I know you're a spy. Let's start at the start. I've got your family history, you know? And so for him, for the, for the interrogators, Chinese, Japanese, it doesn't matter. It's somebody with a foreign background who mm-hmm. has done some questionable things in terms of spying and maybe being a traitor. We can't trust this guy because he's working with somebody else, and it ain't us, you know? Yeah, but you mentioned that the guy who was doing the interrogation, he mentioned the family. He does he did his research and his background on Sid, but not once did he say, oh, I know what other places you work for and who you work for, like the, your past career and your projects that you work for. It's like none of those were any suspicion, suspicious things that would lead us to believe that he is a spy because if he did the research on his family, on the people in his, you know, uh, that he knows about Sid and his life, then I think he would have led to be like, hey, you also did this project, who, you know, you're connected to these people. Then that would have given the audience more idea that he is a spy. Well, and they almost got there. They almost got there because he but mentioned Frank Winter took didn't. a leave of absence in 1936, I believe, was the year. Pause. You know, mm-hmm. and then they took a left turn and we never heard what that was, which that'll come up to play in predictions here in a minute, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but but Sid, the, the interesting thing I thought with Sid was also the interrogation at first, when the guy mentions, when Sid says, I have due process in the law, I want to see a lawyer, I want to be charged, whatever he's it is. He's an American citizen, too. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so yeah, he's not, he's not a foreigner. Exactly. And, and it's, it was interesting to see how the guy says, this is not subject to the Constitution. This land is not American land. We are nowhere. I am no one. At first, I thought he was going to insinuate that Sid was going to be sent to like an internment camp, like what we were talking about earlier. I right. thought that's kind of what he meant, that this is not American land. You're in a war prison or whatever. But he just, I think, more met like, this is such an underground interrogation. You're on your own, buddy. Sorry. You shouldn't have done that. And that's what's scary because just the whole project in general is that even this whole town full of all these people and the fact that they're not even under a proper jurisdiction yet, that makes it also question whether he is a spy or not. Yeah. But I will still give Sid the benefit of the doubt that I believe he was still genuine. Interesting. Okay, I and, just and also add in the fact that he was an American citizen and he has the constitutional right to do that. So I'm like, he knows his rights. He he is an American. I just wonder if you are totally innocent, why you would do what he did at the end, especially after having an out. Your out 
is that you're going into the military. I know that's not a great out. You still might die. I think Frank was half lying to him when he's saying, become a radio operator. You'll come home. You won't die. Dude, it's World War II. You have no idea. Yeah. Frank, Frank, on one hand, is talking about how many American soldiers die every day. And then he's going to turn around and say to Sid, you won't die. You You'll won't come die. home. It's like, I don't know if you believe that. I don't think Sid believes that. But Sid has the out. And then I know Sid did not get intended did not intend to get killed at the very end, obviously. And we'll talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. But remember, Sid physically assaulted a military policeman in his little prison chamber and escaped. So it wasn't just like he weaseled his way out nonviolently. He he started everything off with violence. He stole a gun and he escaped. So, so from then, he was already being kind of violent and desperate. And I'm thinking, dude, you already have an out. It's not the perfect situation. But when you steal a military policeman's gun... You're in a worse situation than you were, man. And but yeah, you know, and to your credit, I I did think that too. I'm like, you do have an out. Why are you acting now suspicious? Yeah. You know? So like, I did question, but unfortunately, his character didn't live long enough for us to get all the answers. There is one thing I need to talk about with Sid, uh, and that is the scene with Frank after Frank tells him become a radio operator, blah blah blah, and Sid starts asking him about the project, and Frank says the project's back on, whatever it is. And Sid says to him, I, you, know, you know what you said, I can put two and two together. And I don't know how you took that, but I took it to mean in episode one, remember when Frank met with the FBI or the DOJ or whoever that guy was? Yeah. And Frank was like, I'm not going to horse trade one of my men for stuff. I'm not going to turn in one of my men. And he wouldn't give up Sid just to get you know the IBM machines or whatever he wanted back. I think from Sid's perspective... Because Frank's pe- Frank's team, Frank's project is back on, and Sid is now imprisoned and has his little thing, I think it looks like to Sid that Frank did turn him in. Yeah, and Frank did in. turn on him, and he did trade him in. And even though Frank, it doesn't appear to us that Frank turned him in and traded on him, Sid doesn't know that. And I think maybe that's what caused the desperation in Sid to say, everyone's turned on me now. Obviously, the government thinks I'm a traitor, and that's bad enough, and I'm screwed with that. But my own team, which knows I wasn't a traitor, has now flipped on me, so I have nothing else. So I guess I have to get desperate, you know. And that's when he got offended with Frank and said, I can put two and two together, a.k.a. I see what you did. I see what you're doing to me. I understand the bigger picture. Screw you because you did it to me, Mm -hmm. you know. And also we we did see Frank because they are true genuine friends too. So you can see Frank as maybe as guilty as he felt of turning Sid in. He did want him, he did want Sid to live. Yeah. So get, and he gave him that. And it was so much of a priority he wanted Sid to live. He leaves the blast site, which we'll talk about in a minute, yeah. but he leaves that blast site right when they're about to blast to go and deal with Sid, and then he has to come back. That's sh- how much of a priority it was. And it also shows Frank's level of desperation. Of, he will do anything to get this project going. His project that he needs to, you know, start this atomic bomb. Last thing about Sid. Even if it is turning in his friends. Yeah. Well, that's we'll see how many other people in this in this project start flipping on each other and if anybody else on the team finds out about Sid or what might have happened with Sid or whatever. That's will be an interesting thing going forward cuz Sid can't talk. It's going to have to be on somebody <laughs> else now. Mm-hmm. Um last question about the Sid story before we move on is the military policeman, the guy who shot him, the young kid who shot him. He um, was too gun gun happy, trigger happy. I totally disagree with you. I think he was totally in the right to do it because Sid had the gun. He was pulling up the gun. And from the kid's perspective, let's say you were sitting where Sid is and the guy, the, the military policeman's like behind you and you're like looking at the thing. And I'm the, I'm the guy who shot him, the young guy. Like I'm coming in, I look in your car and I see the gun on your thing and you're going to get it or whatever, which Sid was definitely doing. And he didn't raise it yet, but he was yeah. going down there. 
I think he definitely had right to do it. I mean, he might have, he might have had the right, but also we see throughout the whole episode that the kid wanted action. He wanted to be in the war. He was trying yeah. to get a transfer so he could go to Europe to see the action, the live action. So I can um, seeing that before the whole Sid, you know, shooting. It made me think that hey, it, it was like a perfect opportunity to finally do something. And I mean. It might have been overstepping, but he did ultimately, you know, he did protect Sid. But in those situations, too, you could have, like, disarmed him. You didn't How have to though? shoot him. But in he head. was in the car. The other guy had his back turned. How would you have done it? I think I think that was the only thing he could have done at that point. Literally. Right in that. Because Sid had the gun on the seat. You couldn't have, by the time it would have taken you to open the door, run through, and grab the gun, shoot Sid would have already pulled him up. And I think you had to have shot him. And it was even more weird to me that the kid, the young guy who shot him, looks in the car, sees Sid's dead, sees the gun right there, looks specifically at the gun, because we get a camera shot of the gun, mm-hmm. and then he goes, what did I do? And I'm like, dude, I'm not saying we should just be killing everybody and go trigger happy, but in this situation... Especially knowing Sid, knowing what Sid ended up doing to get there, escaping and stuff, you did the right thing without realizing it. You know, there's a manhunt for Sid right now, and they're about to find out he's already dead. Yeah. So I don't know. I I didn't think the kid did anything too wrong, but it is a good point about them being trigger happy and wanting to go to Europe, and it underscores the point of like how many young guys were sending off to war who were like 18 or 19. And as much as they don't know what they're doing, yeah. And as much as they want to fight or not, they're not emotionally ready to do stuff like that. And who is ever? But it's especially exactly. during that time. Yeah, I mean, the, we had a lot of Americans go over to Europe. They got transferred over there. So, I mean, and there there have been people you know who are really excited and just really wanted to see the action. So doing that, I think you know, again, he got a little too trigger happy. Well, poor guy. I wonder what's going to happen to him if we'll ever see him again. We probably will never see Sid again because two episodes into Manhattan, we haven't seen a ton of like. I think we're going to see Sid's body. Oh, sure, absolutely. I just mean, yeah. like, like I meant, like, flashback-wise. Oh, we yeah. haven't seen, like, a ton of flashbacks. It's been fairly linear so far, so I don't know if we'll see flashbacks of Sid. And I'm not sure it really matters, because we never learned family stories no. other than what's supposedly going on with and the And we daughter. know his work is already done. He has the schematics. He's did his, he already did his job. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. All right, hey, guys, as we transition real quick, I want to read one quick thing. We've got a great new sponsor here on AfterBuzz, and it's a good thing we have it on Manhattan because, first off, Manhattan, this week on iTunes, the number one show, I believe. Yep. That's It's just number us one. is what I it know. is. No, it's probably not us. It's definitely that Manhattan's a good show. I like to think of it. <laughs> but because of that, and because we're proud to be the number one show, guys, Walmart has a new savings catcher plan. This is an interesting thing because I know you and I go to stores like this all the time, and yes. everybody does. And you go into shop and buy like $20 worth of items, and you end up with like 400 <laughs> and you don't have the money to do that. Well, here's the deal. So Walmart has this thing, no more driving all over town or searching through ads or anything like that. And they have something called savings catcher, where all you do, you enter your Walmart receipt after you go to the store, and if you have any eligible item you purchased was advertised for a lower price at another store in the area, Savings Catcher will give you a Walmart e-gift card for the difference. So you're going to end up saving money anyways. Restrictions do apply, but it's pretty easy. You can enter your receipt online or you can enter it with the Walmart app on your phone. I need a new phone. Maybe I should go to Walmart for that. <laughs> and Savings Catcher does all the work for you. Savings Catcher is a guaranteed win for everyone who uses it. You're going to get Walmart's guaranteed low prices, and you're also going to get the best advertised deals in your area. So start with Savings Catcher today. All you've got to do is walmart.com slash savings catcher, all one word, enter your receipt, and boom. That's great. And Walmart is so family-friendly, and they're so user-friendly as well. So to help everyone out with that, I mean, that's great that they're doing it to help you and know, they're after, shopping price. And they're after shopping. Buzz TV friendly. I mean, I know it's not, the, it's not the most fun thing to do a live read in the middle of a show, but if you're going to do it, it's cool that a company's going to support us. And, hey, 
I love it. Walmart's a great store to also help with just, you know, matching prices of other competitors as well. And if you are going to Walmart and you want to send anything to me personally, if you want to send cookies or cake or, you know, no, I'm just kidding. I won't, I won't give my address. <laughs> Here, you can send it to P.O. Box. I'm just teasing. All right. Let's get to topic number two right now. Um, let's talk about Liza and Abby. We don't see quite as much of Liza as we did in the first episode, or I guess not quite as deep. We, you know, we had a lot of deep yeah. scenes with her and Frank, and we don't see quite the same Abby as we do in the first episode, but there are some important things to talk about. The first is which is Abby starting that fire. That was funny. I mean, and <laughs> Abby, Abby, Abby needs to go to Walmart for new curtains. Absolutely. There you go. And probably a new washer. That's the tie-in. And, and, and new stove That's the tie-in. as well. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I actually do like this relationship that's developing between them because we know the, the men's side of that relationship is not too well, you know. Frank and Charlie, that's yeah. a whole different story. But Liza helping uh, Abby out in this way, because Liza's been very experienced. She knows what it's like to live in this town. To help Abby out in that way, I thought it was good on Liza. And it, that seemed genuine, too. I think Liza's the most genuine. I think of all the characters in the show so far, Liza also has the best perspective. And I feel like if if Liza found out what was going on with the Manhattan Project, with Oppenheimer and all this stuff, Liza, of all the characters in the world, would probably take it the best and the most logical and the most level-headed. And she, she'd be affected by it, but she's the most mature and the smartest without a doubt. And, and also she's very educated. I mean, statistically, people who are more educated can deal with stress and handle situations better than people who aren't. So if Liza did figure it out, she can, yes, like you say, can definitely handle it. So that. are you saying if you're anxious and stuff and you're whatever, you just go get a master's degree and it gets better? <laughs> yeah. Go drop, I mean, go no, drop 100 of course, grand. <laughs> of course not. I'm just saying statistically people uh, no, do No, I agree with that. you. I agree. And, and she's more cerebral, so she can probably handle it a little bit better. Absolutely. She's not She's, she's not better your at compartmentalizing. Household. Yeah. And she's not your average housewife. And also she has great connections. She knows people too. I mean, and she even helped Liza, you know, get the peyote to help <laughs> Pay, is, to help pay the cook and the commissioner. Uh, how many times to, have you to get food? How many times have you given peyote to a cook named Tiny just to get a hot plate of food? All the time. All the time. All the time. All this has happened like five times in my life. I mean, this you, is a daily thing. You can't go through a month in L.A. without giving peyote <laughs> to a cook named Tiny to get mm. some food. And New Ben's engineering for us today. New Ben, Nick, of course, is his name, but we call him New Ben. <laughs> uh, New Ben, how many times have you given peyote to a cook to get a good meal? Uh, I I cook all my meals myself. So okay, you're, so you're, that's you're saying it's a, it's, a, it's a personal peyote thing <laughs> for him. Personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I don't I don't know that any but of us actually. But I find fascinating. That's their way of payment because back in the 1940s, monetary value was completely different than it is today. And and monetary value in in that government perspective wouldn't maybe talk as much. And she says that she's like, if you go through the administration, you're going to wait a year to get this stuff. If you just give him a little peyote. He'll take care of you. You can give it to you. Just, you can get your food <laughs> now. You can have a hot plate in a few minutes. I, I want to know, this is kind of a weird prediction. It has nothing to do with really thematically the show at all. <laughs> but if she's got all this peyote now and she knows where to get it now, I want to know if Abby is going to use it. Because Abby and Charlie have kind of a little, you know, good sex life. Oh, totally. I want to know if, like, they experiment with it at all. Because they're both a little wild at home, like, in a good way. But <laughs> I think they have a very healthy relationship. Absolutely. Just them two in general. Yeah. So, I mean, add peyote to the mix. I mean, it could be. <laughs> but we know that the peyote wasn't used for the whole, for the food. That's a different kind of hot plate than food, am I right? Absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about this dinner. Because we see, obviously, Abby and Liza. We see Charlie come over. Tension. Poor, poor Charlie. Now, Frank is not necessarily in the wrong to be upset with Charlie. 
but poor Charlie getting kind of kicked around like a puppy dog a little bit. Um, but then at the, now, now let me be let me be fair about this. Charlie's kicked around like a puppy dog almost all night by Frank, and Frank's in a bad mood and he's sour and whatever. Yeah. But by the end of the night, Charlie does say some pretty hurtful stuff when he's sitting on that couch. He kind of deserved to get kicked out of the house. Uh, absolutely, and because you know we see Charlie's very new, still very green, even though he's very educated and smart, but. Frank has the experience. He's been there longer. He knows what he's after. He's trying to get his his main priority is to just get his own project started. Yeah. And he doesn't care anybody about Akeley or anyone in Akeley's team, which includes Charlie. So and Charlie's again the newcomer, so he he doesn't care. Charlie's no one to him right now. And Charlie's no one to Akeley right now. Not to jump too far off uh, Liza and Abby and that kind of relationship, but Charlie's an outsider to Frank, as he probably should be. And he's an outsider to Akeley still, too, based on what he's been talking with Akeley about, about, you know, bombs and the way that they should make it or whatever. And Akeley's like, you're just a cog in a wheel, pal. You're one of a thousand pieces. I know. And very, very somewhat patronizing to Charlie because we know being part of Akeley's team, no one likes Akeley in general. And then if Akeley's going to treat his own team like that and say stuff, then you know, that's just another thing that would help, you know, predictions down the road that will help Charlie, you know, completely segregate himself from Akeley's and go to the Frank's team. I'm telling you, Manhattan is so much like Twister. We talked about it last week. But you've got Carrie Elvis's team. Carrie Elvis was the actor who did the bad team on Twister, right? Yeah. Yeah. Carrie Elvis's team, he doesn't necessarily care about the people. He's just, no. everyone functions in the cog of this, like, really nice wheel. It's just like Manhattan and Twister. And we know with uh, with Frank that he actually treats his team like family. Yes. He, I mean, he went out of his way, left his own test project on uh, testing for the bomb to go help Sid, even if Sid might have been guilty. Who knows? Oh, Sid, and that's the thing. He goes and helps Sid, even though Sid is already persona non grata. Whether it means yes. he gets killed, he gets interned, he gets... Wh- whatever happens to him, he's never coming back. But Frank still felt loyal enough to go help Sid. That's a good point. Yes, and Frank is more loyal than Akeley will ever be. 100%. Akeley would have just thrown him away and said... Whatever. Well, yeah. Akeley doesn't even care about his own family. It's like, you can sleep with my wife. And, you know, just stuff like that. It's who like, says that about something so... Who says something uh, like that? I, I, I respect it, that what Frank was trying to do with the bomb test was probably very difficult. And there probably yeah. was a very small chance of it succeeding. But why would you even say stuff like that? It's no. a weird thing to say. But I think it's just to establish, especially back in that time, I wouldn't believe that line either. But I think it's just to establish to the audience that Akeley really doesn't care about anyone but himself. Yeah. Which I... I, I well, we'll get to Akeley when we learn, I guess, a little bit more about him. Mm-hmm. One funny thing about going back to Frank and, and Charlie and this thing, how about Frank's daughter babysitting, <laughs> drinking alcohol? Haven't we all been there? Let's just be honest, where you drink alcohol and then you kind of like, oh, i got to refill it a little bit of water so it doesn't look like I took it. <laughs> and, and smoke some peyote <laughs> as well. That's Yeah, see, that's the thing. She with, had the peyote. Exactly. That's the thing. She, she, she was conked out. She had to have. She passed she out. On that had to have had a little bit. That's a great point. She maybe, she maybe took what they were going to use. Oh, absolutely. Because <laughs> we know because she found it. So it was like it's, yeah. it's assumed that she did, you know, use that. But I mean, never have I been in that position when I was babysitting. <laughs> and I will say, I used to be a babysitter, but I was very responsible, especially at that age. I feel like I would. I, I've never babysat, but I feel like the temptation to do that. If I were house sitting, the temptation to do that would be so great. If I were <laughs> babysitting and there was another human involved, I'd be like, mm, probably not. Yeah. There's there's a kid here. Let's like pass on mm, that. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway. I, you know, I did find the story the side beeline story very humorous and i mean we definitely have to have some levity especially in hard-hitting very dramatic stories that are already going on 
Is that this? It's nice to have because right now this community we're only surrounded by mostly adults, and to have add the younger generation in there, just like how they're dealing with everything that's going on too, because they are part of that community, just like how they're living. It's it's fun to add some humor into that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the last thing to make, maybe the last point to make on Frank and Liza and Charlie and Abby before we get to the big thing, the plutonium, the whole you mm-hmm. know the real crux of this story. Yes. Um, the idea, some of the things that, that Charlie says to Frank, you know, you're you're a meteor that's going to go extinct, and then Frank turns around and says, what is it with little boys and dinosaurs, which is a great line. Very patronizing. Very patronizing. And the whole sinking ship idea, uh, Charlie's saying, I feel bad for the suckers in your group that you were taking down with you. It's really, when you get in an argument with somebody, it's really... Um, how do I put it this way? It cuts them deep if you say something bad about them. It mm-hmm. cuts them even deeper if you say something bad about somebody else because you feel sorry for that person that they have to deal with you. Like when you make it that patronizing that it's like you're not even worth the insult. I'm going to insult people around you who have to deal with you because I feel bad for them. Yeah. That gets so low, especially as, as, as close as friends or whatever you want to call it, family, Frank is with his team. So mm-hmm. when you insult Frank's team, you insult Frank. Uh, absolutely. And, yeah. and it goes to show that, I mean, hopefully Charlie will pick up on that. They like, Akeley doesn't give two craps about me. Well, it's, it's, I, I think that the left turn for Charlie not only was, um, was Frank kind of pushing him out of the way and being dismissive of him and all that sort of stuff, but the other left turn was when Charlie let Frank's team into the lab. And he let the woman into the lab, and then the guys came in, and Charlie was all business, and he was like, okay, you know, what are you doing? Let's do. And the guy, whatever they were talking about, they were talking about gravity or something. And, 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 <laughs> kryptonite. Yeah, and cri- gravity. Kryptonite. Exactly. They were talking about kryptonite, and they say something, and, and Charlie corrects them, and they go, dude, we're, we're talking about kryptonite, not plutonium. Yeah. And Charlie's guard, you could see, slowly let down, like, wait a minute. It's okay to have fun with science. Like, I don't have to be the type A writing the most amazing paper guy. Exactly. And These people are cool. And I love this interaction, too, because now we see Charlie actually gets to interact with another team. Yeah. And then be like, hey, these guys are kind of like me, and I like them, and they're personal, and we can bond in that way. Yeah. So and, I think that's and that's good. And it's like every science fiction or adventure or fantasy movie story, whatever, you have your main characters, you have all this sort of stuff. And then you kind of have – good ones kind of have a team of people that are a little quirky, a little funny. This is another comedic kind of release for something like this. But it's it's like one thing we think about science is, oh, science nerds, you know, whatever that looks like at this time period or that. So mm-hmm. this time period, it's cool to see guys like that in this time period so everything is not so serious because Frank is so deathly serious, literally deathly serious because that's what he's consumed with all the time so it's nice that some of his team is like oh these guys are talking about superman and gravity on krypton that's cool and it's good because we also have the similarity between frank and charlie because we know charlie's always isolated at night when when the team tries to invite him out he's like no i'm gonna stay here and be the last person to work he's always the last one so if he keeps exactly (laughs) if he keeps going along that path he's gonna be frank in like 20 years yeah so i mean it's good to show that he he can be personal and actually start making friends in this area although well i think but see that's where the left turn comes in it shows him he can be personal it shows him he starts making friends but he gets caught and I think yes, when he gets caught, we didn't really see it, but he must have gotten chewed out, punished, whatever. And that probably caused him to shut down even deeper. And instead of saying, hey, I can make friends with these people, it's like, screw these people. They got me in trouble. Now it's really nothing with them, and I have to be 
totally black and white with him. You know? Absolutely. And I think that will also go kind of into prediction territory that he's definitely, we're going to definitely see the ramifications of that because I don't even think he was supposed to let the woman in into the lab, oh, let alone the no. other people that came in as well. So we're going to definitely see some chastising because he interacted with another group and then, you know, passing notes. I mean, they could, they could blow that up into anything. It's like, you're becoming a spy. You're passing our personal confidential information to other groups, yeah. you know, who could do whatever. So we're definitely going to see, like, the fallout of that. Yeah. We'll see. I can't wait. We'll see. Let's move on now. Speaking of the fallout of that, no pun intended, little <laughs> nuclear radiation joke. Let's move on to... Uh, I like that segue. Thank you for mm-hmm. thank you for saying fallout. Right, we needed to move on. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, the plutonium itself. And really, the first interesting scene, the first scene was fascinating in this show today. In the episode with the guy, I don't think we ever got a name for either one of these guys. The guy <laughs> carrying the, the box and the cab driver, but it doesn't matter because we're probably never going to see him again. Nope. It's just the idea of the story itself. And I'm sorry, I found it fascinating with the, the box, you know, the Valencia oranges, which I believe are actually native to California. But knowing that it traveled from Chicago, the Windy City, to uh, Los Alamos, and I'm like, okay, okay. So we know something's out of place. Pandora's yeah. box. Yeah, interesting. I, I kind of like that. I like that scene with how suspicious the kid was. I would like to know more of who the kid was and where this came from, but whatever. I think it was just a messenger. It was. It could have been just a... the plutonium. <laughs> This is how they transport a plutonium in the 40s, by the way. Could you imagine doing mm-hmm. something like that today with something like that? Oh, heck It'd be no. ridiculous. I mean, but, I can't imagine TSA. That'd be crazy. <laughs> I, mean, be I can't imagine the cab fare from Chicago. Did he take a key? He didn't take a cab from Chicago, though. He no, definitely... Well, he did because the, we saw the, the oh, taxi. Oh, saying we're driving for two days. Yeah. yeah. T- the, the taxi rate was at $473.50, and especially the time... In those, absolutely. That was a lot of money. So yeah. he was definitely backed, probably backed by the government to to trans- yeah. transport this plutonium. Yeah. And the plutonium comes, and this is the difference. And it is, for the record for all you guys, where did I write it down? It is 150 micrograms, I believe. Yeah. Um, I know I wrote it down, and now I can't find it. But it's okay. We know it's 150 micrograms of plutonium-239. And then we sort of learn That's a little a bit more about Dr. Barath, this Hungarian guy, I believe, who is... Not directing the project, because Oppenheimer is, but has some say in logistics of the project and things like that. And he can divide it up yeah. into whoever needs it. And he's not given any plutonium to Frank's team, of course. Nope, of course Unfortunately. not. Unfortunately. Um, because they were just disbanded, but now they're together again, so. So, okay. see, why bring them together again? That's my other question. Because, because Frank... they have two teams against each other, that's what makes the story interesting. Oh, for sure, from a TV <laughs> perspective. But, like, from the military's perspective, if you're going to disband them, if Frank didn't horse trade... Sid, which we think he didn't. It appears he didn't. What's the reason for bringing... Maybe the military or who Oppenheimer or whoever is just a little curious and says, you know what? Maybe they do have something right. But if you're going to bring them back together, give them some resources. Give them a little bit of something. Give them some IBM machines and 10 micrograms of plutonium or else it doesn't matter. Yeah, but also the meeting that we had with Akeley and um, Frank, you know, talking about why should Frank's team get any plutonium because their project is literally based off in theory. There's nothing yeah. substantial. There's no rudimentary, you know, what whatever he was saying. There's, like, nothing to prove that his project will work. So they're not going to give plutonium to a project that hypothetically probably won't work, even though we know it does. Yeah. Uh, compared to his that are, like, hard-hitting facts. Yeah. That is provable. It's tangible evidence. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree. I guess the thing with the plutonium that I found interesting, too, um was 
the way I, I can't wait to see how Akeley's team uses it. And I can't wait to see testing with Akeley's team with it or whatever's going to happen. Because the only test we've seen thus far in two episodes is this little, you know, pipe bomb test is what it was that didn't end up working out. So I'm curious where and when the plutonium comes into testing because they did mention when it came in something about Chicago wanting it back. And yeah. and I don't know if, if half that might have been kind of a tongue in cheek joke, haha, or you can't give the plutonium back once you're using it. Yeah. So I don't really understand if they just needed to synthesize something or if they're actually going to test with it. I think for, for right now, obviously, it's for testing purposes. Yeah. But maybe they, maybe Chicago was just thinking, hey, we gave you a lot of plutonium. We need some of it back for security. Or we need it back is like a metaphor for saying we need we need a return on our investment and <laughs> yes, make exactly. the damn bomb. Exactly. Yeah. But I did love going back to um, uh, Frank's, you know, perspective and their testing, how it goes from a metal pipe to a cigar size. Like, I love the visual aspects to make the audience understand, like, what exactly they're doing. They're taking the same amount. Uh, the same volume, but literally compacting it into a small thing to have to increase the implosion rate. And that's an interesting thing. And, and actors have mentioned this, and I read a couple interviews. We'll do news and gossip in a minute. But we talked about um, uh, Hickey, uh, Frank, Frank Winter, yes. uh, talking about how he had to learn physics again. And, we're, and there's a couple other actors who have said, I have to learn physics again. I have to do this. It's also on the show to teach the audience physics again and you can't go over the top with it but we need to learn a little bit of what it means when you compact all this stuff and why the plutonium matters and what it means to go from a pipe to a cigar and who who cares and absolutely and i find it fascinating how they're also throwing like other physics physics theories out there i mean we had schrodinger's cat yeah i mean any physics 101 knows about the schrodinger's cat theory and I thought that was cool because, you know, I was taught that in physics. Yeah, and we and, and they drop Heisenberg's name. Heisenberg, yeah. A little Breaking Bad New Mexico reference maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but they drop Heisenberg's name. So I think this stuff's going to keep coming up, and it'll be interesting to see. We, the audience, know what cities were bombed, what happened in World War II, yeah, all this we stuff. We know the outcome. But we want to see how you get there, not just from a theatrical scripted perspective of the relationships, but I think it also behooved them a little bit to start developing the story of the physics behind this and what this actually means in layman's terms. I don't want the equations. No. <laughs> Give me something that I can understand as a non-science person. I think that, I hope that's coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's you know just the journey of how we got from point A to point B. That's the fun part of yeah. what shows can do for anybody. For yeah. any historical situations, whether it be America or any anywhere in the world. Yeah. We'll see. Do you think that Frank is as much of a loose cannon as Akeley and Charlie and some of these other people are portraying him to be? I wouldn't say loose cannon, but I would definitely say more open-minded because we know that Frank will go above and beyond and think outside of the box and do whatever it takes to get his project going. And I don't think Reed is so, you know, so type A, and he has, he knows whatever he knows he will stick to. He won't go beyond the limits. He won't go the extra mile. Yeah. And that's what makes the difference between someone who will put the effort, extra effort in. Have you ever heard the quote, and I'm going to end up paraphrasing it a little bit. It's not exact, and there's certainly lots of different versions of it. But it's the idea of that first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they call you crazy, then they try to stop you, and then you win. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know who said that, whatever, you know. But it's that idea of 
when you're doing something different, at first, if it's really crazy, people are going to ignore you. But then if maybe you're kind of correct about it, people might kind of try to laugh you off and say, oh, that idiot, Frank, whatever, you know. And I think we saw that in the first episode a little bit when Charlie came up and Akeley talked to him. Then they start kind of calling you crazy. And when Akeley was in the meeting with Baroth and with Frank, Akeley pretty much called him crazy. And the time is coming now, I believe, where Akeley or Charlie or whomever else is going to try to stop Frank. And then they're going to fear Frank. And then Frank's going to win. And He's I think, the one that comes out on top. Exactly. And it's all coming to a head. I think we assume he'll come out on top in some way. Obviously, that has a lot of time to be played out. But it's, it's, we're getting there to the point where Frank used to be a laughingstock, used to be a joke, used to be ignored. Now he's kind of in that crazy stage. He's kind of a rogue he's, cannon. But he's a threat to these guys, and they know it. They just don't want to admit it yet. He's coming. He's good competition. And I think from episode one, that for the show itself, I think they did a really good job of establishing who's the protagonist, who's the antagonist. And we know who Frank's the protagonist. He's the team that we're rooting for. Yeah. And we are rooting for him, right? Absolutely. Okay, well, what happens if Sid, who said that he was ready to talk before he assaulted the military police officer, what happens if there actually was something to talk about? What happens if Frank, taking that leave of absence in 36, he did do something wrong? Do we really want Frank to win? I still want Frank to win. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I just want Liza to win. So if that means Frank wins, (laughs) I just want Liza to be able to grow something. I want to become. I want all the women to win. Oh, I don't know about that. Let's not go (laughs) all of them. But but I want I want Liza to be able to grow something. Like become a PhD, go somewhere where you can teach botany or you can do whatever. You can have a garden. You know what I mean? So you can be a professor. Right. You know, like go somewhere where you can work and do what you want to do. Actually, utilize her skills because right now it kind of looks like she's been sorry demeaned to a housewife. Absolutely. And she's nice enough and in love enough. and is, She's smart enough. You need good leaders, and leaders need good followers. And I'm not demeaning her by saying she's a follower, but she's not as much of a leader as Frank is. And it's important to have followers. Not everybody can be a leader. That being said, you can't stick her in a box because she does have a lot of skills herself. No, and also not just Liza, but the other woman that uh, Charlie let into the lab. She, we mentioned, she mentioned that she also has a Ph.D. So yeah. we have a bunch of women who are very highly educated in one area, which is probably very rare especially at that time i just got a great prediction but i'm gonna hold off on it okay. let's do uh news and gossip first After TV news. you uh you just let me write down this prediction real <laughs> fast it because it, if it escapes me i'm gonna be real pissed off it's it's a barn burner <laughs> that quote by the way was attributed to gandhi gandhi what, go. new ben, what you, is the what is Nick. the actual quote new ben do you have it up Yes, it's first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. There you go. There first you go. they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they win. I added a couple extra things. <laughs> Crazy, stop you, fear you. But yeah. it's the same idea. So let's you use gotta it. love Gandhi. They ignored Frank. They laughed at Frank. Now they're kind of starting to fight him, and pretty mm-hmm. soon Frank's going to win. That's a yeah. great quote, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just for Manhattan Project. It's for everything. It's for life. That sounds like a tattoo. You go against the grain. Go against the grain. I'm going to get it tattooed right around my forehead. Okay. First, you're going to ignore it. Then you're going to laugh at it. But pretty soon, I'm going to win. <laughs> All right. We got two pieces of news today. The first one is ratings news. Uh, first week, the very first debut episode of Manhattan did 2.2 million viewers on WGN America. Marissa, quiz for you. Salem Great. is the first scripted show for WGN. Manhattan mm-hmm. is the second. How many did Salem do in week one? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to <laughs> go back. 13 weeks. <laughs> um, I want to say around one point something. Salem did 2.3, 2.3. in okay. week one. So 2.2 is very good. Didn't quite over... And this isn't like a well-broadcasted network show like exactly. everything else. So like to have 
pulling those numbers for such a small network, that's great for them. Oh, there's a lot of basic cable networks that would love two and a half a night. Believe yeah, me, I watch I mean, a lot of shows CW, for AfterBuzz that ain't getting two and a half a night. CW <laughs> averages like those numbers with yeah. their shows. Yeah, but that's so. And this is W and, and that's the other thing I was going to mention. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, WGN's president and general manager Matt Chernus had great corporate speak to say about it. He said, "Quote: We are very pleased with the critical reception as well as the audience turnout for Manhattan, and see it as a significant step forward in establishing WGN America as a destination for high quality programming." Yes. That's great, Matt. Thank you for that corporate PR talk. But I mean, he is right. I do like that Salem was very well produced. If nobody watched it, it was WGN's first show. Salem was very well produced. It was interesting. It was shot well i think manhattan thus far exceeds everything salem did up to the first two episodes and that's not a knock on salem i just think manhattan does take another step forward for them yeah and a lot of times with sam that was more character driven and then this one's more story driven narrative yeah. like he has frank has to do this this and x y and z so i feel like there's more narrative driven and here's the kicker too with wg and we've mentioned it before but this telecast, Manhattan, airs in all 33 of WGN America's markets. The problem is those markets only cover 60% wow. of the U.S. households. So if they can pull in 2.2, 2.3 million on 60% of households, imagine what they do with the reach of like TNT or A&E or something. That's, and that's on them to get there. But I got to believe that this is a pretty good start for them. Absolutely. And those numbers are amazing, especially, and I, I predict that those numbers are going to go up like every single week. Making your first prediction. I yeah. like it. All right. Second piece I of news. I have faith in the show. <laughs> second piece of news. It's not numbers. It's something more fun. Rachel Brosnahan, who plays Abby Isaacs. I'm glad we're talking about her because she had such a uh, part in this thing. She's fun. She went on zaptoit.com, did a hilarious interview. So let me read you some of the answers. Zaptoit asked her, they said, which is more challenging, 40s fashion or nuclear physics? And she said, nuclear, nuclear. physics. They said, what did you actually know about the Manhattan Project before you auditioned for the role? And she said, quote, not enough. I was kind of mad that I didn't learn about it in school. I had learned loosely about the development of the bomb, but I had no idea about this strange and isolated community and the families that made such an impact during this pivotal time. They also asked her, and you will love this, Marissa. <laughs> they said, if you could hang out with a real Manhattan scientist, who would you pick? And she said, the Manhattan Project housed some of the world's most influential minds, but just one... Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. I'd love to hear about the project and the community from his perspective, and rumor has it he was quite the ladies' man. <laughs> I, I mean, he's smart. That's <laughs> sexy. And then this, and I'm going to open this question up to you before I read uh, Rachel's response. Mary, kiss, and kick to the curb. Ooh. Einstein, Oppenheimer, and Fermi. Oh, okay. Do you want me to answer that? Do, go first. Okay. Huh. I would probably marry Oppenheimer. Okay. Uh, what what was the, what what was it? Mary Mary kick, kiss and kick, kick to the curb. Kiss I uh, Einstein and then kick to the curb. The last one. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> she said, "I think they're all equally brilliant and have made remarkable contributions that forever changed the face of science." She's been coached by a PR person with that answer. <laughs> but she said that aside. Here goes. I'd marry Einstein because hey, that hair. I'd kiss Oppie because I've got to see if the rumors are true. Oh. And I'd kick Fermi to the curb because he works too much and probably never cleans the house. <laughs> those, are, I, those are very good, reasonable 
you know, answers. There you go. Right. So very, Rachel Brosnan, out. <laughs> she, uh, that's an interview with zaptoit.com. Pretty funny stuff. They've got a bunch of other interviews on Zaptoit with a lot of Manhattan actors. So we'll be yeah. doing some of that periodically over the week. But um, She seems like she has a great personality. Oh, she's got to for being somebody like Abby. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she, and her character in and of so is very fun. Exactly. Yeah. I can see why Charlie married her. Yeah. <laughs> I can see it too. All right. Let's get to uh, predictions. And now... Your AfterBuzz TV predictions. Real quick, new Ben. I'd be interested to hear his opinion. <laughs> Would you marry Oppenheimer or uh, or Einstein, new Ben? I don't know who Oppenheimer is. He was the lead Manhattan Project scientist. Man, he created the A bomb. I I didn't. Know. I know who Fermi is. I know who Fermi and Einstein are. Those are actually you know big guys. I mean, yeah. Maybe you should go back to high school and learn a little bit more about Oppenheimer. I'm <laughs> kind of disappointed, New Ben. I don't I'm know sorry. if we should we should bring you back for the Twitter round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will. I'm just teasing. Let's get mm-hmm. to predictions. Go first. I think okay. So we're we haven't seen the last subset, even though he's dead. We're we, I think they showed in the preview his body that they're, and I think we're gonna finally find out that. I'm gonna I'm gonna root for him that he wasn't a spy. Okay, he wasn't a spy. My prediction's a little out there. This is a little yeah. Salem-y. If you watch Salem, Salem kind of took a left turn at a lot of places mm-hmm. and went way off yeah. history. And I don't know if Manhattan's gonna go this far off. But with Liza's skills and her education and her talent, don't look at me it. like that. They're gonna use it exactly. She's either gonna kind of start her own team in some way. She's gonna find out what's going on and be able to help. Botany is not like nuclear physics, but I am certain that she has knowledge and skills of, of materials and goods and chemicals. things and chemicals mm-hmm. that she can help somebody at some point and she's either going to have a breakthrough for Frank or she's going to get poached by Akeley or I don't know, but I think she is too intelligent to sit at home this entire season. I don't think Akeley's going to go to her. I think Frank's going to have a vulnerable moment and actually tell Liza what's going on. I think Frank has to tell someone because you can see it's eating him up and it's eating their marriage up. And I think one of the only ways to keep the marriage going is to be honest and tell the truth. Interesting. And because Liza is so educated, I think Frank's going to let her on the team. But not, of course, not let like everyone, all the other groups know that they have a woman part exactly. of the team. But he's going to have use her resources. She's going to be working in some way. Or she's going to find something by accident that are his papers or something that mm-hmm. she shouldn't have found or whatever. And she's going to see stuff. And she's going to be able to connect the dots and make sense of something he couldn't make sense of. I, think I so. mean, he already has one woman on the team. They were doing the, the testing that the, there was the woman. Yeah. I'm completely forgetting her name. I don't know now. if we were given her name this I, episode. I don't think so either. But you, we know that Frank is open to having women on the team. Yeah. So. Why and Frank, need, Frank needs to take all he can get right now, and he would obviously Absolutely. trust Liza, so I think it'd be different than just like, oh, it's a woman. He knows how smart she is. He respects her enough. So, yeah, I think exactly. it's natural that she'd be coming on, mm-hmm. whenever that is. And then, of course, I think we're going to say it every week that Charlie's eventually going to go to Frank's team. Well, here's my question, though, because in the previews, my last prediction that I just wonder about is one of the preview things mentions Frank has been accused of being a spy by the United States government. Espionage. How far does that go? I don't know, because we, we also see tonight's episode that Frank could tell off the colonel. I mean, he told off Colonel Kaiser like, use your power. So the fact that Frank could tell people of that high status and not get any, any chastising or any punishment for that, that he could definitely use his resources, his pull to get out of whatever they're accusing him of. 
Stop acting like a guest in your own goddamn house. That's a great line. I love it. So good. All right. That's it for the show this week. Let's do some Twitter links or Instagram or Snapchat or Vine (laughs) or whatever it is you're on. Marissa, where can they find you? Well, I don't have Snapchat and Vine. (laughs) But you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at TV. What about you, new Ben? Can they tweet you if they want to? You can tweet me at NickDBot. How on do, the how Twitter. Do, how, how, how do you spell, spell that? that? That's N-I-C-K-D-B-O-T. N-I-C-K-D-B-O-T. Oh, like Nick almost D-Bot. like robot. Yeah. Nick D-Bot. D-Bot. It's, it's my name, actually. Is but it yes. really? Yeah, Nicholas Daniel Bottomley. Oh, the, so the, the D is... I got you. Some Nick nice trivia D-Bot. For you. I love it. That is good trivia. We'll talk about that on News and Gossip next week. We'll do <laughs> Nick's backstory and all his stuff. You guys can tweet me at Bobby DeMiro. Also, if you're on Twitter, you want to watch a cool documentary. I just directed and released one. It's on Skid Row, the homeless district in Los Angeles. It is called Skid Row Tuesdays. So either hit the hashtag on, t- on Twitter, Skid Row Tuesdays, or go on YouTube, type in Skid Row Tuesdays. It's on there. It is totally free to watch. Marissa, have you watched it yet? I haven't. Wow. Yes, but I will over wow. this weekend. Wow. I'm getting I was getting great reviews will, for everybody but Marissa. <laughs> I will tell you what my <laughs> thoughts are on it. I'm wow. sure it's amazing. I don't doubt. I'm a little hurt. I'm going to cry. I got to wrap up the show before no, I start saving crying. It. I'm saving it up because you know it's like YouTube. If you watch it all at once, you know you can't cherish it. So Interesting, politically correct answer. You barely survived. That's it on Manhattan this week, guys. We'll be back next week. You are out of town next week, so you'll be calling into the show. I will call into the show. But we'll still be here, obviously. However, my presence will still be felt. Absolutely. Unfortunately for some. You will still be here. We'll be here next week. Thank you guys for tuning us, joining us on Manhattan this week on AfterBuzz TV. Remember, hit like on YouTube, subscribe to us on iTunes, do all that good stuff. We'll see you guys a week from today. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. This after show is brought to you by Walmart Savings Catcher. Walmart's new savings catcher is the simple and easy way to save. Just go to walmart.com slash savings catcher to enter your receipt.